Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. Rated R. Connor Saturday Down South Podcast, Connor. Rated R. <laughs> so people want to know always why we have Will bleep out swear words. It's because it, there's a setting on iTunes where you have to put parental advisory yeah. for your lyrics. And if you don't do that, and then if you get busted with a bunch of curse words or stuff, something like that, you can get in a lot of trouble. You can have podcasts like taken down, apparently. I don't know. I don't know that whole world. Yeah. But that's that's what I've been told. So just a little peel behind the onion for us as to why you couldn't hear my now legendary curse words the other day. Oh, man. It was amazing. It was people, like, I think, like, it's, it seems like time stood still. I just, it was, it was quite a moment. It was quite a moment. Uh, by the way, I, di- I didn't actually say any curse words. I just had Will bleep that part. No, I'm kidding. You, that, that is, don't, why do you do stuff like that? Like, you, like, you witnessed don't it. Don't ruin, that was such a huge moment. I was so blown away. I was like, I got, I got up afterwards and I high-fived Allie and, uh, and I was like, guess what? And she's like, what? And I go, Connor, she was Connor cussed. And I was like, yeah, she was, I heard you screaming about it from the other room. And I was like, yeah, it's a big moment for us. Goodness. In other news, we have it just meant more today. Uh, a game that Tennessee fans know very, very well and Arkansas fans do as well. And I'm guessing that the Arkansas fans who saw this title are probably like, you know what? I'm going to skip this one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying to do that. Don't. You yeah. should definitely want to go back down this road as painful no, as it is. Definitely skip it. Um, no, listen, because we want the views. Tell tell all your friends to, to, to listen as well. But the data... Self-care. <laughs> self-care. We are digging into 1998, number 10 Arkansas, on the road, number one Tennessee. The year in which Tennessee won a national championship, obviously, in this post-Peyton Manning world. This A real one. Of, yeah, a real national championship that nobody could dispute because first year of the BCS national championship yep. as well. Very, very important. This game, obviously, a big part of it. Tennessee coming into this was this this team that was not expected at all to be competing for a national championship, even though they did start off number 10. But in this post-Payton Peyton year, expectations were, were definitely low. Tennessee in this game, number one for the first time since 1956. I, I mean, Marler, I know you have a lot of reactions and a lot of memories from this game. When I texted you the suggestion to do this, your immediate thought was what? I just, like... I'm I'm unbiased for the most part. Like now, when it comes to like like I'm happy for where Tennessee's program is headed now, and those fans deserve way better than they've gotten over the past decade. But I grew up, and I, I joke around all the time about how I didn't like Peyton Manning. It has it has so little to do with Peyton Manning, and so very much to do with Philip Fulmer. And all those emotions came up at little that was it 98. So 12 year old Chris. Just sitting there in his little husky jeans uh, <laughs> in his room watching this game. And I was so fired up. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to lose. And it's like part of it is like you're, you're excited because it's a huge upset. Arkansas was like an incredible story that year. And then Houston Nut's going to Houston Nut. Uh, some of which yeah, you can debate whether or not it was his fault. We will, of course, dig into the very, very famous, uh, I guess infamous for Arkansas fans, the ending of this game that involved a certain Clint Sterner not being able to keep his balance. Um, but a great, great November showdown with a, a pair of undefeated teams. Didn't realize this. 1971 was the last time before this game that two unbeaten teams in the SEC faced off this late in the season. That's amazing. Yep. That's absolutely amazing. Um, just a who a, was it? It was Bama, and it was Auburn. Hmm. Interesting. Who won the Heisman that year? 
1971, Pat Sullivan. What was Bama's record? Uh, in 71, I think they were like, no, they had to be undefeated, so like 10 and 2, 11 and 1. I think they were 11 and 1. Yeah. I and don't that, remember them, they weren't, they didn't win a title. No, they did not. Or that, claim one. That was today's edition of Stump Marler. There you go. Um, no, that was, it was interesting watching all that, because it was like, I, I, I was going to point this out later, but it, it speaks perfectly to the trivia question you asked, like, during the broadcast, was... They showed a preview of, like, like you always do on CBS, like, all right, next week, tune in for the game of the week. And you're expecting something, like, you know, pretty decently big. And it's, it's Mississippi State and Arkansas or Kentucky, Tennessee. And it was the weekend of the Iron Bowl. And Florida, Florida State, which I think that game was on ABC. But either way, I was like, ooh, okay. Mississippi <laughs> State did go to the SEC Championship this yes, year. Yes, they did. So, fair point. And... Um, but at, at, at the same time, you look at that historically, and you're like, wait a minute, why are, the Iron Bowl? The Iron Bowl is being played. Yeah. That would be that would tend to be the number one choice. But uh, a different time, a time in which Tennessee was the team that could do no wrong, number one in the country, had won three of their first four games that year by one score, and on this day, nothing better exemplified this can't can't find a way to lose, always will yeah. find a way to win type of day. A little bit 2013 Auburn-esque, dare I say. Some similarities they there? Weren't, they weren't that lucky. as uh, this Not was that a lucky. Very, this was a very good football team. Um, obviously, one that's like very, very special to to Tennessee fans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, kind of like that. It was, it was so unique and different, though, because more, more than ever, like the feeling I think of Tennessee fans going into that season had to be so kind of not unsettling, but just kind of weird. Like we just, our best chance of winning a national title with the best quarterback we've ever had and one of the best to ever play the game, he's gone. Talk about that and window. Now, yep. Right. So. But Tennessee, of course, went on to do just that in this 1998 season. And this game, oh boy. We had some fun with this one. I've got 2,000 words of notes sitting right here. That, so, I don't know what's gotten into you lately, but I love it. It's, I mean, <laughs> you, so usually Connor has a very structured, like, two, three pages. Like, it's always really detailed, and, and you, you get the job done. But I'm the one that's like, I scrambled, or I wrote down uh, nine pages of notes in a notebook. Hopefully none of it's useless, or all of it's useless, <laughs> pretty much. I kept going on little tangents and, and finding different different random nuggets and places to that I wanted to dig more into. And I'm like, Connor, focus. We have a time frame. We're recording yeah. at 3 o'clock today. We've got to be able to get this done. I love it. All right. We're going to get into all of this. Before we do, Marler, tell us about our friends at BetOnline. Guys, I say it every single episode. If you haven't already, get on over to BetOnline.ag today. Uh, keep an eye out on social media. We'll be doing a, another installment of our winning and boozing Series me and Tyler Huck have been doing, going over favorite team totals. Connor, what's the what's the one team total you like the most in the SEC East? Ooh, in the East. Kentucky at six and a half wins. Love Give it. me the over all day. The fight in Mark Stoops's. Yes. I love it. I absolutely love it. So it's, I think also you can bet on that. You can bet on all other uh, all of the other 13 teams in the SEC as well and their win totals. They've already got game lines up. I'm taking Kentucky. I also, I don't know, but the Florida one kind of, Sketches me out a little bit, but I think if there is a lock, you're right, it is Kentucky. Regardless, get on over, bet on some locks today on betonline.ag today. Let's talk about your best friend, Philip Fulmer. Got it. We know you've rooted so hard for uh, throughout the last, oh, uh, when, was, when was the time that you accidentally, you were like, I, I want to buy that Tennessee hat at Sporting Goods Store, and your dad said not uh, to. That was like 94 or so, 95 maybe. 94. Okay, so we've yeah. got essentially 26 years of built-up 
anti to no. Um, but Phil Fulmer is somebody who, um, in my opinion, this season kind of made him an SEC legend. And yeah. he, he had finally gotten over the Florida hump, which I understand he beat Florida in the first year, but the, the losing streak was well documented. He essentially won every National Coach of the Year honor this year. There was actually one that Houston Nutt won. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, by Arkansas fans. I, I just think that year seven, in which you watched your best player in program history leave, it sort of paints this this picture of all right, the chips are are stacked against you, even though you you still have a lot of talent returning. And I yeah. can't help but wonder, and you can answer this question better than I could. Were Tennessee fans at the time wondering a little bit like, hey, is this Mark Richt before Mark Richt? So I don't I don't think it was like that. It was one of those things where they were really good. I mean, they were really good. It wasn't like they just came up short. It was just that I think everyone had a pretty good understanding of like, you just keep running into this buzzsaw, which was the best team in the country. And then you start out the year this year with, with that team uh, finally beating them, getting over the hump. And it's just... It, yeah, maybe it is a little bit like the Auburn thing in, in that way because then like that has to be such a incredible feeling of elation even though it's game two that in the year you didn't think it would happen you're finally getting over that hump I don't remember them feeling like Georgia fans because they didn't say they were gonna win the title before the season started mm, okay that's that's a very very fair point but Phil Fulmer at this point of his career still trying to to establish what he was to become and you know mm-hmm. if you look back on, on the the fine moments obviously this one stands out and it, it set the stage really for a, a very very successful time that he had after this and we've talked about that window from essentially do we say do we say it started in 97 and went till 2001 or it started in 95 so I say 95 because okay. the, you know I didn't realize until like last week I remember them beating the brakes off Bama 41 to 14 95. I didn't realize they hadn't beaten them in like eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And, and they were killing everyone. They had two losses that season, and it was to Florida, who was the number two team in the country. And who was the other one? It was, hmm. you know, it might have been, oh, it was Memphis. It was a, a random game in November. That's but that right. team was loaded with talent. They had, I think, 10 guys that were drafted that season. I think they had three in the first round. It was, it was a really talented team. I mean, Fulmer was a fantastic coach. Yeah. Fantastic coach. Great recruiter, too. Houston Nutt. Year one at Arkansas, he had just taken over a four-win team, and here he is sitting there in November on the road, number one team in the country on the ropes. He's got an 8-0 team. He's feeling really, really good. Uh, The the things that he was able to do in year one, you got to tip your cap. And I know that people have their opinions of Houston up because we've been following this guy for the last uh, 25 years, essentially. But, man, the job that he was able to do in year one, where you're talking about a team that – and this is telling. In in 1997, so the year before he arrived, their last in Division 1A, which was what it was called at the time, in rushing. They averaged 56 yards of rushing awful. per game. And then they, they improved that by, by over 100 yards. I mean, the other crazy thing, too, and this speaks to, Hugh, like to who Houston Nutt is from being able to, to motivate and captivate a room. And he's this high-energy guy everybody knows about, obviously. That team had 19 starters back with a new coaching staff. That is yeah. unheard of. And you know what? I, I understand Houston that rubs a lot of people the wrong way with, with, with some of the things that have happened over the years. Don't ask Ole Miss fans about Houston Nutt right now, but good Lord. I mean, that is an amazing thing. And it's it's looking back, yeah, no wonder they had a significant improvement in his first year. So I was. this was like one thing that kind of bummed me out because usually I have a really good memory of all this stuff. 
And I, I do remember th those years, especially, and I, I, I'm sorry for doing this, just how my reference point for football at that time was usually with Alabama. And, I mean, they first off, they beat him in 97. They beat Bama in 97, even though they were terrible, because because Bama was also terrible. Bama was ranked at the time, too. and that was They were only, 11th. <laughs> I thought they were 22nd. I thought that was no, their no, no, only... In 97. Oh, in 97, not 98. Yeah. Correct. Go yeah, ahead. They went 4-7 and seven at the by the end of the year, so I don't yes, know why right. they were ranked 11th. But regardless, uh, the 98 season, yeah, they were ranked for some reason... And, they, and Arkansas beat them like forty-two to six, and I mean, like we didn't watch that VHS tape again. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but it, I, I wish that I would have remembered more about this story because it was actually one of my favorite years of college football when I was growing up because they had a lot of cool, unique stories like this stuff at Kansas State with Michael Bishop, and um, I think who came in the Ohio State was number one in the country to start the year, and they get upset by Michigan State like in November, early November. Yep. But the Arkansas thing. The fact that he started out 8-0 and in the SEC, and it wasn't like he was – I mean, I don't think they had one win against a ranked team, but it wasn't like the schedule was soft. Well, that was what the debate was, and this is a team who's picked to finish last in the division. And as we know, those SEC preseason predictions are always right on the money. But right. there's still this skepticism about Arkansas. Are they for real? Despite the fact that at this point they had already doubled their, their win total from the previous season – but as you always bring up, and this is a great point, they didn't have any national TV games until this point. And if you're wondering how in the world is an SEC team in mid-November only at number 10 in the country because they started off unranked, they didn't have those aforementioned national TV games until this one, they had a bad non-conference schedule, but still, I mean, think of all those things. Think about in 2020 if an SEC team started off 8-0, and they're still right. sitting there at number 10 in the country. It's amazing. It would never happen. It'd be like the Big Ten West treatment. That's essentially right. what they got. Yeah, it, it, so the the thing with that season, too, I think one of the reasons that was was because Florida was coming off the national championship. No, that, that was 97. So I, now I don't know. I don't know why they didn't have a TV game. That makes no sense. It really doesn't. It, it, and, you know, obviously the, the landscape of television has changed in terms of who gets national TV games, who doesn't, but... Arkansas was not one of those teams, and up until this game, that was just not necessarily uh, a team that was in the eye of, of, of fans nationally across the country. And right. you know, they were they were fortunate enough to to be able to get this opportunity. They tried to do their best to capitalize on it. Oh, As I said before, <laughs> so condescending. I, I mean, like think about it though. Think about it. If you're if you're coming off a four win season. This is at a time when you're not expecting to have three right. or four national TV games in the first two months of the season. Like, who are you? So they had ESPN two games. Because I remember, I remember that forty-two to six game. That was. It's, there's nothing like waiting around all day for your your seven o'clock kick, and it's yeah. just over from the start. But I said, so but again, that wasn't. That's at a time when ESPN two was not very big. Yeah, <laughs> so not was, not broadcasting in like yeah. every house across the country necessarily, and that's still. Not not being seen by the same audience, obviously, right. as opposed to being on CBS or ABC. Um, the A-listers, Al Wilson, fitting. Oh, my God. A for Al. The Tennessee linebacker, uh, Tennessee legend, I should really call him. A three-year starter, obviously first-team All-American, heart and soul of that team. If you remember, um, we had Dave Hooker on before it was the in the beginning of the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. We had him on, and he used to do some great work for us. And uh, he did all these great, you know, twenty-year anniversary stories. And uh, he had, you know, in one of these stories about about Al Wilson. He he wrote about how you know they get waxed, obviously, by Nebraska in '97, the, the Fiesta right. Bowl. 
And um, Al Wilson's the first one in the weight room when they get back. And he's calling guys up. And he's like, get your butt over here. Like, let's go. And that. He said that, Connor. I mean, that was, you know, the PG version of it. That's the yeah. Connor version of it. The mild there Connor. You are. Not the evil Connor version. But that's that's who Al Wilson was. And he wanted to be able to to kind of make his mark on that team. And, I mean, my gosh, you, you watch that guy fly around the field. And he was special in every sense of the word. Yeah. It, it, so... John Henderson was an incredible talent as well and a terrifying individual that used to get slapped in the face for games and <laughs> slam his head and everything. Al Wilson is one of the scariest middle linebackers I think I've ever watched play SEC football. Like, not just that he was so physical and so, so good, or even how he hit people. It wasn't like he had these like just bone-crushing hits like Ray Lewis stuff, but he just the intent that he always seemed to have when he did come to hit you was never good. It's always, always to bring pain. Everything seems meaner when it's coming from a neck roll. Yeah, that's, that's a really Doesn't it? quote of the year. Doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. He had, uh, Al Wilson had this sequence in the game where, you know, it's seven minutes left. They're down 24 to 20 in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter. And he gets this, this huge sack on second down where he's coming from the blind side. Clint Sterner just does not see him at all. Mm-hmm. And it essentially forces a long field goal attempt. Tennessee fans remember what happened after that. Point I was gonna make. <laughs> I don't. Sorry. Do you want me to? Do you want me to hold off no, no, on no, that until later? It's good. Okay. We won't get to the. We won't get to the. You know the. Well, the stumble what was and fumble. Interesting about it was he only had. They just mentioned right before they're like he. Wow, Wilson's been kind of quiet. He only has one tackle today, and and you're right. Like his ability to just kind of take over a game like that. I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish. No. It just yeah. I mean you, you. He he did things like that where this sequence. Okay, so he forces he forces this long field goal attempt. And then Deion Grant blocks the field goal attempt mm-hmm. from Arkansas, and Wilson recovers it and takes off down the sideline. It looked like he was going to go for for yeah. a touchdown, but those those are the moments that that Tennessee fans remember, and they say that's that is why this guy is a legend, and we we hold him in such high regard. It's always good to have like an absolute. I think like great teams, especially like fans, love to have an alpha, and especially like on defense. I see what you're there because Al, yeah. That's not what I was doing at all. I, th- I thought <laughs> yeah. it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and he was the just the epitome of that. Peerless Price, the Tennessee wide receiver, good old number 37. 920 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns this season, a senior wideout, just a, a big play guy, huge in the SEC championship, national championship. Tennessee needed him without Marcus Nash. I mean, yeah. he, he had such a key presence in this in for this team and in this game, actually. Ironically enough, we missed the touchdown that he had at the end of the first half to make oh it 21 God. to 10. Why did we miss the touchdown? And okay. I say we, not just as people who watch this game on YouTube, but even if you were watching this game live, you missed this touchdown. They did these news breaks with Dan, where Dan Rather would jump in and he'd be like, Bill Clinton is addressing the Iraq, the Iraq standoff. And um, multiple times in which we're talking about Saddam Hussein, and you know they, they had these breaks were like four, four or five minutes apiece, which probably felt like an eternity considering the stakes of this game. I, I was so mad, and I'm, I like just as a fan today, and not even a Tennessee fan. Did you remember I, that watching that live at the so time? So when I first saw it, it was first off it was Tim Brando cut in the second time. He was he was the one that took them to because they were like we've got breaking news or blah blah blah, but it wasn't even, it wasn't even breaking news. It was like an update. It was like yeah, they had like the press secretary. Yeah. So what I thought it was at first was the impeachment because I remember the watching that like on a Saturday and like I think my dad even turned the channel 
to watch it. I'm like, can you put the game back on, please? I don't care about this. Wasn't that, that was before that, though. That was before 90. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But but either way, I remember watching that, and it like consumed like most of the Saturday. This, I don't remember if this is a big deal or not. I'm sure it was. Fine. It seemed like it could have waited till halftime because Tennessee scored with two minutes to go in the first half. Big And touchdown. they brought, it was unreal. I don't understand, like, what? whatever, whatever. Um, the, ironic, the ironic thing about this, and I'm thinking to myself as we're getting these these updates, these in-game updates with Dan Rather, Bill Clinton is probably upset that they're doing updates during this game. Obviously, yeah, good point. <laughs> massive Arkansas fan. Uh, he's probably just sitting there at home like, oh, man, what happened to the Hogs game? Um, that oh, was my book there Clinton. it is. I went for it. Uh, meanwhile, Al Gore, <laughs> vice president, he's a big Tennessee fan. As we find yeah. out on the broadcast, they bet they bet five pounds of ribs on this game. So the president and the vice president are probably like, come on, man. We don't need to hear about Iraq right now. Just give us Wait, our football. Wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was the national championship game. It was either the national championship game or when they beat Alabama in, 90, in 98. And they, there's a video of, of Phil, no, it's when they beat Bama. There's a video of Fulmer singing, I don't give a damn about the whole state of Alabama. And they're, they're painting the camera. And all of a sudden, Al Gore's just there. And I'm like, oh, yeah. what is yep. happening right now? Why it's is Al Gore It's a great picture. It's a great picture. Yeah, he led this, this cheer in the locker room that one time, too. That's a, that's a great, yep. I think you can find that gift, probably, for sure. Then he invented the internet. <laughs> People forget that. T. Martin, the Tennessee quarterback. My first thought whenever I hear that name is, can you imagine taking over for Peyton Manning and how difficult it had to be? Yeah, I know he had two years to prepare for it. There's only so much you can do until you're the guy after the guy. And I've always wondered how much that really endeared him to Tennessee fans. And if you ask Tennessee fans their all-time favorite players, T. Martin, top 10, top 5? I mean, I would, I would hope so. I would I think, know, right? I mean, hopefully that he's making it in over Clawson. It, it was, but yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> right. Like that's a terrible situation. And I, I think I don't have it in front of me, but I remember looking this up when we talked about the '97 season with Peyton. I think he only had like 12 attempts total the year before. Like, didn't have a lot of playing time or experience. And you know, we don't need to get into this part of it that much. But part of that storyline is the fact that you know, he's he's a black quarterback, which was kind of rare in in a lot of like you know, not rare, I guess, in 1997, but it was something that still wasn't, definitely wasn't that big in the NFL, um, and there was sometimes, like, you know, like a negative connotation with it, not with Tennessee, I don't think, because they were the first to ever have a black quarterback in the SEC, but there were so many different layers of how difficult this had to be for this kid. And I think that there were there were times in which they'd, they'd struggle to figure out how to use him entirely, because yeah. He could throw the football. I mean, he was not a guy who was going to sit there and and you know run run the triple option for you. Obviously, those are those are kind of the stereotypes. But he probably could have. And that's no, they set. tried to do it in the game. They well, they tried. They definitely tried to do it. And then he had the end around where he scored on that touchdown. But I, I wouldn't have done that consistently with him because he could actually stretch the field. And because as we yeah. know, they had such great talent at receiver. Yeah, he was he was a he was a really good quarterback. It's pretty accurate. Um, he was not in this game, obviously, but uh, it was weird to see that. The triple option thing, especially that you bring that up, because they definitely ran two two straight plays, ran the option. And I have it in my notes. I said, T. Martin can't run the option worth blank. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they also had so much talent around him. Yeah. But you also think that Jamal Lewis is going to be your go-to guy, and he's gone for the end. So exactly. even more pressure on him and, you know, more stuff put on his shoulders. So 
He he wasn't Peyton, obviously, but he just always kind of made that that key play. I mean, that that third down play in this game, which I thought was so important when they're down 24 to 17 in the third quarter. They're just sort of getting all this momentum back. And it looks like he's stopped in the backfield for a big loss on this option play. And mm-hmm. somehow he keeps his feet on this and, and he picks up a first down. It kept the drive alive and they picked up a field goal to make it 24 to 20. But he just had those little moments in this game where if you're talking about a quarterback who has the intangibles, you want yeah. that guy who's just not going to make that backbreaking play. And Arkansas fans probably remember Clint Sterner a lot for making that backbreaking play that they couldn't have. And T. Martin wasn't wasn't that guy. And the the six interceptions in 267 passing attempts is you'll take that all day. I mean, that's that's really good. Came into yeah. this game riding a streak of 80 consecutive passes without an interception. That was broken in the first half of this game. But just a he guy was, who did really what he wanted to do. This game, and the reason I bring that up is because it was so out of character for, for him, even as a first-year starter. He got a lot like, of pressure, not... too, in this game. Oh, my God. They were in the backfield all day. They're like, maybe they should run shotgun. <laughs> you think? I don't know. He, Houston Nutt ran that defense the, in this entire game like it was NFL Blitz. It, like, it was the whole time. <laughs> free fire. He's like, uh, yeah, it's just every, every single one. Right over the center's head. Right over his head. <laughs> so I was like, I've never seen that many guys just blitzing through the A-gap. Okay, I guess yeah. he's just going to go untouched. That's Good fine. Lord. I always kind of feel bad for, for T. Martin that um, he had wanted the head coaching job at Tennessee in 2017 yeah. when they had the just the big fiasco. And that was a, a big talking point in Knoxville. I remember, like, you know, why, why don't they just give the, the job to, to T. Martin? He's been the offensive coordinator at USC. And then he turns down the offensive coordinator position at Tennessee, which was offered by Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, because that's what he was at USC, and he's like, I'm not yeah, looking for a, a lateral move. Lateral and then a year later, he's hired at Tennessee to be the receivers coach of of, of he's be hired to be the receivers coach. And I just kind of felt like, oh, like mm, that just that always I always kind of felt bad a little bit for him that he was trying to move up, and obviously you're trying to advance your career, and then yeah. you actually kind of technically take a step back. I, I guess, but in the same way, and with how things are nowadays. I think he's a good coach. I think he, he's he's done pretty well. It, for like a young guy, I mean, he, for him to be able to move up like the ladder, I guess, this quickly has been pretty impressive. I will say, like going back to Knoxville, where you've already like kind of defined your your own legend. You like you're very very well liked um, and remembered only for positive things. If you come in and take over the offensive coordinator job. Yeah, that's, that's true. Especially if Pruitt's the head coach, then it's like, well, this already sucks because I, I thought I should have had that job. It would be a lateral move. And then if something goes wrong, think about that. Think about how much heat he would have caught last year for that offense. Good point. Good point. That's so a good, good point. job, T. <laughs> Those receivers were fire. Speaking of guys who caught a little bit of heat, Clint Sterner. The Arkansas quarterback, the, the fumble that he became very, very well known for. Um, Why were they passing? Why were they passing? I just... Also, here's a question. This sounds dumb, and I it was a fumble, but I thought at the time, especially, the ground couldn't cause the fumble. I kind of thought that too, but apparently, because there wasn't review, there wasn't like no review one or anything. It. No one really questioned it, and it was because his knee wasn't down at all. It wasn't like he had an elbow close or anything. I mean, it's a fumble. We could see that. Like I understand, even if the rule hit the ground and and. Then- yeah, like that's that's what a fumble is. Um, it wasn't like he was trying to corral a pass or something like that, which th- I thought that was used 
a little bit too much in favor of, and now we've gone too far in the opposite direction where you have to complete the catch. But in this right. sense, nobody in their right mind would look at that and be like, oh, no, that's not a fumble. It, it, well, like, it's absolutely I fumble. Definitely did. I definitely did when I was 12. Because um, I, I, and I didn't understand the rule. I just remember my dad always screaming that. But like, I, I, like when I thought it was for like, say, a running back receiver is trying to extend the football, like get past the first down marker. Yes. And they come yes. down and with their hand, like in full possession of the ball, hits the ground and then fumbles. You can't do that, which is seemingly what we had here. But I mean, whatever. They, Arkansas deserved to lose that game. <laughs> <laughs> just flat out. More, more on Clint Sterner. Um, he was still pretty solid this year, second-team All-SEC, 26-8 TD INT, second-team All-SEC this year, and he wasn't afraid to stretch the field, and he yeah. attacked Tennessee secondary a lot. I couldn't believe, though, in this game, they, they had one point where they're showing his season-long stats, and they're like, his completion percentage is 40%. Like, wait a minute, what? 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 How, how is that possible? And I, I made sure, and I, I paused it exactly, and I'm not, I, I'm not sure if that was 100% a typo, or not because he finished the season at 54%, which he probably had to rally to get to that point. But I'm like, wait, no, that definitely says season long. And he wasn't, you know, particularly accurate on this day. But my goodness, 40%? 40%? Bad. <sighs> I don't, now I'm going to have to go look up all the quarterbacks from 1998. This is going to ruin my entire day. <laughs> Tim um, Couch. Yeah, they, they were talking about how great of a, great of a, well, yeah, he was like almost at 70%. Yeah. They, they talked about how, like, great of a season he was having because he only had 19 touchdowns and like five interceptions at the time which we'll also get to later but i mean yeah he was like i think he was a he was a average to above average quarterback maybe like slightly above average quarterback in the sec sure his receivers were and i'm not trying to take any you know credit away from him but his receivers really helped him out a lot that there's one play in particular like where he underthrew uh, I think it was the same kid that, that just torched Tennessee all day long. Was it Anthony um, Lucas? Anthony Lucas, yeah. And he came back and ended up catching the ball like under, like right, right in front of Deion Grant. But he got, I don't want to say he got bailed out a couple of times, but his, his receivers like were very good that year. Let's talk about Anthony Lucas. Had a school record 1,004 yard season this year, 10 touchdown catches. Dude averaged 23 yards a catch. Pretty good. Crazy. Pretty good. He had this beautiful over-the-shoulder catch in the first quarter, and then he also had that 62-yard touchdown catch on a jump ball where they go up 14-0. I have no idea what Tennessee was thinking. John the Don Chavis, as we'll get to in a minute here, why in the world they're playing press coverage on a guy who averages 23 yards a catch? I, it, was a, it was a good defense, though. It was a good secondary. I, I don't know what happened that day. You know what? I'll say another thing that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I don't like the, the fact that, that the names aren't all the same font size on the back of those jerseys. It, right? It's bothered me since I was a kid. <laughs> You're talking about the Tennessee jerseys, right? Because mm-hmm. those, uh, I don't know why their numbers had to be that big. We just, I just I still don't get that. Cool, but, eh. yeah. um, but Anthony Lucas had twice as, nearly twice as many receiving yards as the next closest receiver on that Arkansas team. The irony being that in this game a year later, he actually had the game-winning touchdown catch, um, which pushed Arkansas over the edge to be able to beat Tennessee. Arkansas's leading, all-time leading receiver for 12 years. And then I can't remember who it was that passed him. Marcus up. Monk. I don't think it, uh, I don't think it was because it, it, it would have been 2010. I don't know why I'm blanking on that right now. Um, but somebody that was very, very important to the success of this Arkansas team. Oh, Joe, Joe, what's his name? Joe Adams? It was 2010. I don't think Number it was. Number three? I don't think Regardless. it was. Regardless. I'm blanking. Brandon Burlesworth, the Arkansas offensive lineman, 
Uh, Arkansas fans know this guy well. College football fans might have gotten to know him a little bit better with the the college game day special that was done on him. Um, I think that was this past year, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yeah, because it was the twenty uh, the twenty year anniversary of his death. The ultimate walk-on story. Um, mm-hmm. The Burlesworth Trophy is literally named after him. It goes to the top walk-on in college football. Um, First-team All-American. He made the, the kind of Rex Specs glasses look cool. Um, former pudgy dude who just transformed into this guy who was a machine. I mean, he was He, he was wasn't even strong when he got to college. Like, no. you would assume he was just like a big dude that didn't get an opportunity. He was like, I think his, I remember hearing the story. His dad was like, hey, he benched like 200 pounds or something. Like, he was very weak. And then all of a sudden, he just kept working, man. Got shredded, and then you know, got down to like 260. I think he gained a bunch of weight back to be able to to play yeah. and, and to get you know get in that kind of shape for the NFL. And you know, obviously, physical freak ran a 488 at the combine. I mean, just a really really cool story, and yeah. just so such a tragedy to see the way that it ended. You know, two weeks after he gets drafted by the Colts, he dies in a car accident. Um, Brutal. Somebody who meant a lot to that program. His number, number 77, retired at Arkansas. One of only two numbers to ever be retired at Arkansas. I mean, uh, the story itself, yeah, it, like it's it's a yeah. Hollywood script. They, they, made it, they made the movie greater based on the Brandon Burlesworth story. And, uh, yeah, just one of those things that, like, you look back on, and that's that's he's he gets shown in this game a, a decent amount. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those things that even within the confines of a game this important, you don't really have a minute to appreciate yeah. just how unique that is. And at the time when you're not know. seeing, yeah, I mean, you didn't know how all this was going to go. And a, a, a walk-on story like his to transform into an All-American, it's just, you know, still still pretty rare to look back on. Yeah. The breakout performers. I only had one in this game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Travis Henry, the Tennessee running back who obviously had a game-winning touchdown in this game and was one of several, several stud running backs at Tennessee during this stretch where they really, for for a solid, like, eight, nine, nine years, something like that, yeah. it was like, Tennessee just has another one. Uh, Travis Stevens, Arian yeah. Foster, uh, you know, Jamal Lewis. I mean, it just seemed like they were always getting one of those types of backs and right. he had stepped in this year, of course, after Jamal Lewis was out for the year and suffered a season-ending injury in the middle of the year. And, you know, his impact in this game was felt. And we'll get to right. what he did down the stretch of this game later. But, I mean, somebody who just seemed like he was really finding his groove over the course of this game. Yeah, he and they ran the ball all day. Like, it was, it was like, they just ran down their throats for, like, I, you, I went through the entire game log of each scripted or each play for Tennessee because I was trying to look up exactly the the flow of how T Martin was playing from the first half to the second half and it was just like Travis Stevens, Travis Henry, yeah. Travis Stevens, Travis just repeatedly. And I think he was a freshman that year. Um because I looked up my old Forest Davis recruiting annual that you know there I love is. so much. He was a defensive back from Florida. Oh he was, uh, that's right. he was one of the top twelve players in the state ahead of Najee Davenport. Uh they had a like Florida's class that year, like the entire state was crazy. But anyway yeah, he like, he really he was able to take over in, in like in a time especially when they needed him the most because not just because the Jamal Lewis thing but with how T Martin was playing this entire day and it was also a gr- I think what I remember most about this is just how gross Knoxville looked that day it it was awful weather nasty hundred percent humidity on this day just 
wet and rainy, nasty, nasty weather for a football game, but good weather for a team that liked to run the ball, had a really good offensive line, and had a more than capable back in Travis Henry. Fun fact, as many people know about Travis Henry, uh, 11 kids by 10 different women. Um, okay, I don't know. That's not a fun fact that you're going to bring up. Didn't he, like, isn't he the one that, or is it Travis Stevens that was like the fifth year senior? Uh, Travis Stevens, who took the red shirt in the middle of his college career. We talked about oh, that yeah, that's right. okay. on the adjustment more that we did with, uh, it was Spurrier's last game in the swamp yeah. that we did. Um, how it's close do you think, different. real quick for you, got to know. When I mean, think about this. Nine, nine kids with nine different women and then had twins with a woman. At what point do you think Travis Henry was like, vasectomy? I mean, you know, maybe he just really wanted a big family. I, I he hope, was Catholic. I don't know. I, I hope Travis Henry is, is doing really well for himself. Yeah. That's something that obviously he has became known for. And if you search probably any Travis Henry. I didn't know Henry's, that at all. You didn't know the 11 kids with 10 different women thing? That's like a, that's a record, I think. That beats Sean Kemp. Oh, well, Sean Kemp, that's, that's, we're talking about known kids here. And for the record, what record? My, my grandpa had 12 kids, so. This is a weird conversation that we went into, and I can't believe you're the one that brought it up. So right? this is. <laughs> All right, let's move past that quickly and talk about Jamal Lewis and his cocaine drug deal. No, just kidding. We're not going to talk about what that. What is wrong with you? I'm, All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jamal Lewis, great, great player at Tennessee. And is actually doing really well for himself, by the way. Meant, meant to, to Former say Former regular that. of mine at Whitehall Tavern. He's doing well. He's doing well. Super uh, nice what, what did he order? Uh, he used to just come and get Stella's when we talk about games. I, I, because I, I brought up the fact that he's saying I was like, I was like, yeah, man, like, like, I, I, I know who you are, and he's like, oh yeah, and I was like, I'm not a fan of yours. Don't worry, because I remember <laughs> you singing this. Uh, we own Alabama in the end zone of oh. Brian Denny '99, and he was like, oh, we did do that, and he like dapped me up. And we were cool after that. <laughs> All SEC guy in 1997, um, as I said, missed this game because of that season-ending injury. That's why he's a, a prominent extra and not one mm-hmm. of the, the A-listers or breakout stars in this game. But just another reason why this Tennessee team was so amazing because they had also lost Marcus Nash this yeah. year as well, and it just kind of didn't matter. They, you know, The old mm-hmm. cliche, uh, next man up thing, very much applied to this Tennessee team. David Cutcliffe, the Tennessee offensive coordinator, uh, his rare time during this 10-year period in which he didn't have a Manning to coach up. That's um, so ridiculous. <laughs> his, his offense was still pretty decent considering all the talent loss, the injuries that we brought up. That's why he won the Broyles Award this year. I mean, all the yeah. things that they had to overcome. This was his last year, of course, before taking the Ole Miss job. And I didn't even realize that he had coached, he coached Ole Miss in the bowl game that year. Weird. Really weird. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. He How is it allowed? <laughs> I have no idea. I have I have no okay. idea. I would have to go back and, and dig into that a little bit more. David Cutcliffe out of what school? Oh, I don't know. What's Bama? Did he really? It's from from Alabama as well. I didn't know that. I'm trying to look up what what section are we in right now, technically, Connor? We're in the prominent extra section for okay. those of you right, who are following sure. along at home. <laughs> I well, so because I I didn't there was a a breakout performer that I had also with the prominent extras. But I was now I'm trying to make sure he was he was actually a breakout performer. Do you want to, do you want to circle back to breakout performers? I I, I Kenoi, just ran Kenoi right over Kennedy. Kennoi okay. Kennedy was, I mean, absolute. It was like a Sean Taylor highlight reel. He was laying the effing wood to people all day. Like I mean, just unapologetically, just destroying people. Like. Over the middle, on the sideline, on screen passes. It was awesome. Not one targeting penalty. That one on the, I think there was one in the flat where a Tennessee receiver just got laid 
out. I mean, it was really? like, oh, how man. in the world did they not call it? Well, they, they called a, a late hit on the quarterback. Oh, that's what it was. They were not very good yeah. with calling late hits on the quarterback in this game when they actually should have. Um, John the Don Chavis, the Tennessee defensive coordinator. How many games has John the Don Chavis been been a part of an adjustment more, you ask? All of them. Absolutely all of them. <laughs> Every he, one. Like, I just, I just, he, he is... He is like Milton from, from Office Space, and he's like, we fired him years ago. He's just he's still like, here. Still have my mustache, so I'm just going to be here with my stapler. Third game in which he has been featured. It feels like way more, and I could be wrong. That's not including the 2014 season. I'm not sure if we brought him up when we did that one, but it just kind of feels like he's been there every single time. I realize that this is going to be because he was you know fired, part of that Arkansas coaching staff this past year. This is going to be the first time since 1988 that we don't have John the Don Chavis on an SEC coaching staff. He'll he'll find a way. He'll find he'll a way. find a way. He'll he's be gonna, he'll be like a volunteer assistant, like at like Vandy or Kentucky, and then by the end of the year he'll be like co-defensive coordinator. How Bama has not hired him as an analyst yet is beyond me. It's well, coming. I mean, it's they coming. Put up a lot of points against Stevens. So. <laughs> this is true. This is true. The story arc. Favorite line from the broadcast, a broadcast that had Sean McDonough, who I, I, I love me some Sean McDonough. Yeah. Big, big fan. Uh, Terry Donahue as well. They were on the call uh, for CBS, which weird not to have Vernon Gary, but who just before they, they got going with that. Well, so I remember, I, no, this is this is well before that, because I remember the, this broadcast was, the first ones I remember were Sean McDonough and, and Todd Blackledge. I didn't remember who this guy even was. And then Vern switched with Todd Blackledge. Right. Well, it, well, no, he was because he was a color man. No, Vern. He, he Vern was with McDonough. Yes, yeah. Vern yeah. switched. Uh, yeah, switched, and then Vern and Todd Blackledge were together. That's what it was. This yeah. is also before they they made a rule uh, in the SEC. I don't know if it was through CBS or just through the conference, but you could only have uh, five games max of your team viewed um, as like the three thirty game each year. You can only ha- you can only be on there. Like I think in the regular season, I don't think the SEC championship game counts. But you can't have more than five games of your team broadcast in a 3.30 game. I wonder who's the team to break that. Tennessee had six <laughs> um, this year. I mean, they, like, it was, I, I went back and looked through theirs, and I was like, good God. And it, wasn't a, it wasn't a particularly good year at all for the conference. Like, it was a pretty no. down year. Um, but, yeah, they, they had six games on CBS. And um, my favorite line is, is from, I have several, but my favorite line overall was, November has been very kind to Tennessee. An amazing record of 50-2 and two in the month of November since 1985. Yup. You know what one of the losses was to? Memphis. That's irrelevant. 50-2 and two is 50-2. Yeah, so it, it just, I've been saying it. I've been saying it for a while, y'all. But yeah, that was one of my favorite ones because um, it validated that I was right. Then there was one that was just kind of awkward to me. Uh, Arkansas defensive lineman Melvin Bradley, he had to, they were like telling like a fun fact about him. He had to take 15 hours of summer school courses just to be eligible. That's a lot of summer school, man. That is a I lot. I can go ahead and tell you, as an athlete, I can tell you exactly what he did, and that is he didn't go to class at all uh, during the season and then failed his classes because he probably didn't think he was going to be there. So like what our what our like idiot players used to do was they wouldn't go to class in the spring. And they would just be ineligible in the fall. Mm. So okay. to get to get eligible, like fifteen hours in a summer—that's a lot in the that summer. Is so much. Um, then my other favorite one was, where did it go? Uh, 
they were talking about talk, I'm going to butcher this kid's name. The running back Chris Chris Chikuma. Chris Chris Chikuma. He so they they were talking about his background. He was a really good running back in my opinion, but his dad was from Nigeria or he was from Nigeria as well and his dad still lived there. And keep in mind this is 1998 and they go, "He and his dad uh they still communicate though on the internet." I was like <laughs> <laughs> Just fire up the old the internet time, machine. Like, <laughs> Sometimes he calls them on a car phone. So, those were my favorites. One of my favorites was every single time that McDonough would say, Chris Chikuma, and he would have this, like, right on Kuma, he would, he, his voice would elevate up a few octaves. Yeah. Uh, McDonough was great, though. He had another line where um, Arkansas, after they had jumped out to the 21-3 lead, and they're they're sitting pretty at the end of the first half as Tennessee is trying to drive down the field, um, he said, if there were doubts about Arkansas because of the schedule they played, those doubts are gone. And there shouldn't have been anyways because Ole Miss is an excellent team and the Hogs absolutely demolished Ole Miss last week in Fayetteville. Now, I guess this is a little bit more cold take from the broadcast as well, but Ole Miss ended the regular season 0-3. They finished 3-5 and in the SEC. They got outscored 86-23 to in those last three games. But I get yeah. what he's saying. The first part, he should have just stopped there. And instead of right. trying to make Ole Miss sound like the quality win, I, yeah, I mean, he couldn't have also that. lost its next game and its bowl game. So This is true. It's, it lost the bowl game yeah. to Tom Brady. People forget that. Um, the coldest take from Ooh. the broadcast. There were some. There were some. <laughs> some really good ones. I, uh, I yelled ahead. out, F you, Fulmer, out loud. <laughs> 22 years after the game. Heal. And I did, I, yeah, I didn't realize. It wasn't like, it was like, oh, like, like I was angry. I was like, oh, F you, Fulmer. Like, I was like laughing about it because it was funny. And I didn't realize that Allie was on a Zoom call and oh. had the door open. So that was nice. Uh, a good thing is like Kaiser Permanente is not very corporate at all or professional. So, uh, tough one. <sighs> but it was at the end of the broadcast, which, by the way, uh, Go, circle back to the extras, prominent extras. Mike Mayock on the sideline as the right? sideline reporter. Right. And also still doing a phenomenal job of scouting because he was like, if you've watched the last two series, Peerless Price, every single time they've had a pass play, they pulled him out of the game. Or like every single time it's like a run play, they pulled him out of the game. So they're, they're being obvious in, in their play calling. I'm like, look at Mike Mayock. Real quick. Had it. So I had that under my thing that I didn't know slash remember until rewatching this. Because when yeah. they go down to him on the field, I'm like, wait a minute, what? Mike Mayock is a sideline right. guy? Uh, which is a very, very different role than an analyst. Something that you typically see a former player like Mike Mayock mm. in. Um, and I actually tweeted out the photo of it. Very weird in itself. So he was only a CBS sideline reporter for one year. Yeah. From 1996 to 1990. Oh, yeah. Michelle Tafoy was right behind him. That's right. And then Tracy Wolfson wouldn't have been that far no, after. No, it was, it was Jill Arrington and then Tracy Wolfson. Okay, okay. Um, so from 96 to 99, he was with SEC on CBS, game analyst for three of those years. But for whatever reason, in 98, they're like, let's try him out as a sideline guy. Um, I don't know if they did that to make room for, for Terry Donahue or whatever they did. But there was this moment where Bayock asked Fulmer, uh, and like the halftime interview, which you know yeah. usually good for nothing, um, he asked Fulmer at the half if he was satisfied with the first half performance, and Fulmer's like, uh, "Absolutely not. It's twenty-one to ten. <laughs> yeah. satisfied. Terrible, yeah. terrible." Well, he had he had like when I first when I was watching the game, I heard his voice, but for whatever reason, I don't know if this is what they were trying to do or if the cameraman didn't understood or didn't understand how his actual camera worked because 
he was never in the same frame with at the, the coach. end of the game they did that <laughs> they, they did <laughs> well, that where they were trying to find Fulmer and they like couldn't find him until the last yeah. five seconds of the post game interview very so awkward. I heard his voice and I was like that sounds like Mike Mayock but surely he's not on there and it definitely was it definitely was him um okay my cold of six I've got several uh let's see here <laughs> I found that they communicate by computer um Oh, so the former one, real quick. He said, at the right after the game ended, they were like, you know, what a game. I'm like, you just got to love us, huh, man? And I was like, God, Jesus. Um, but it was a pretty incredible moment and, and, and funny reaction from Fulmer. The other one that I had was, I thought I had three, but I know I, oh, Brandon Burlesworth glasses. He almost looks like Clark Kent. Yeah, but... I, so mm. here's the thing. I used to actually look exactly like Clark Kent before I put on weight and, and grew a beard and put on weight. Or Rachel Maddow, depending or on Rachel which Rachel Maddow, way one. more. Yeah. Way more. But I, so I used to actually like volunteer at this local hospital dressing up as Clark Kent. Sick bride. Because they wouldn't let me dress up as Rachel Maddow. But um, when they said that, I was like, he looks nothing like him. And I got, <laughs> I got so triggered by this because somebody said, and this is when I was in good shape, like 2017 picture of me at Media Days. We posted on SDS one time. And they go, who's this Brandles, Brandon Burlesworth looking mother? <laughs> and if you know what he looks like, he doesn't look like me, I thought at all. He looks like like the outside like version like of, a, of a Russian stacking doll version of me. Like He's a much bigger person than me. I was, I was offended by that. Um, the other one was, where'd it go here? Oh, at the very start of the broadcast, these two teams have been outstanding at protecting the football. Man, they couldn't hold on to it all day. It was, it was rough. Bad. It was the conditions as well, I think, definitely played a part in, in some of that, but it was not the best day for, for ball security, for sure. Mm. Um, I have, uh, so first quarter, up 7 to nothing. Uh, Arkansas is up 7 to nothing. They're in the red zone. Clint Sterner is scrambling, and he's about to get sacked. Instead, he just throws it across his body, throws it up into the end zone, double coverage, easy interception for Deion Grant, who had a really good back day. Foot. Yeah, off his back foot. Like, everything you tell a quarterback not to do, Clint Sterner did it. And Sean McDonough goes, Clint Sterner, the big thing last year, the problem with interceptions, uh, (laughs) in part because he was under pressure so often. But last year, he threw 13 interceptions. He said, this year, the biggest difference I learned is to throw the ball away. Incredible. Well, that's a lesson he didn't remember well enough that time. (laughs) Sean McDonough. Well, well done. Yeah. That is how you, you you take some of those little pregame nuggets that you get in the production meetings and you use it against somebody right. the moment. You yeah, exactly. Can. And then you throw them under the bus. That's how no, you that, do that it. was awesome. I had that written down. That's I'm I'm glad you you brought that one up. That's good. Terry Donahue. Um, after Who is Tennessee. Terry Donahue. I'll, I'll explain that in, in a second okay. here. Um, so after Tennessee falls behind twenty-one to three. He says, uh, I don't think Tennessee is is a good come-from-behind team this particular year. <laughs> that doesn't mean they can't, but that's just not their forte. Obviously, they come back and win this game with right. a, a great second-half comeback. Um, but they came back and won in the SEC Championship after being down in the fourth quarter. People forget that. Even though they won that game 24-14, to they still came back and scored a couple touchdowns very right. quickly to win that game. Put some respect on T. Martin's name, would you? Would you, Terry Donahue? Yeah. Would you just give was... the guy a chance? You know what? Because I, I get it. The game's not going their way. But I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. They're not built to come yeah. back and pass because they don't have Peyton Manning. I get it. I don't but, think he was saying all that. Why did you read so much? Uh, I, read, I read a little too far into it. Uh, okay, so who is Terry Donahue, you ask? Longtime UCLA coach. He was offered the Cowboys head coaching job. 
and instead turned it down to do SEC on CBS in 1998. Okay. I, I don't know. Sorry. I don't I didn't think he was very good in the booth, to be honest. I, I was pretty disappointed most of the time. You were missing Gary, weren't you? I mean, yeah, always Gary. <laughs> um I but no, he, I just didn't think he was that good. Yeah, I didn't think he had um a ton of great insight that made me stop and go, Oh, I actually didn't didn't see that. He kept praising Arkansas for running their four receiver sets, which I realized at the right. time is still a little bit advanced, but I didn't think that when he broke it down, like there was one time where they just like lined up in four receivers and his like big moment was like, Oh yeah, that's it. That's what they're doing. They they said that's what you know. I had talked about this in the pregame earlier, and they're they're running that set now. And that was the only moment where he really provided yeah. any sort of insight. Where I'm like, all right, as the average fan, maybe I wouldn't have known that until I watched the replay. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been, there's definitely been better. The Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. You go first. Anytime Al Wilson steps on the football field. Yeah, that's fair. Just pretty much, pretty much every time. Um, the other one I had was, what was it? It was um. Those Kennedy hits, too, were... The, the, it was... Kenoy Kennedy just... He was destroying people. I cannot emphasize that enough. But there was one play in particular where he had... Um, it was it was a screen pass. Or on the... Like, out in the flat, like you said, where there was the personal foul of, like, roughing the passer call. Mm-hmm. He just lit this dude up. And I honestly thought it was a good hit. I didn't think he led with the helmet. It would have been targeting. But um, I would say that, because he just did it all day, and, and they just kept coming back and kept coming back. Uh, I went with uh, Emmanuel Smith, also making a play in the flat. A little, little counter play that Arkansas was running, trying to get that Tennessee pressure off of them. And Dwayne Goodrich looks like he is just about to blow him up. And the, the crowd even has this gasp because you, it's one of those plays where it's like the old Reggie Bush play where it's kind of like a blindside play where if mm-hmm. that guy gets going downhill, there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to make that play in the open field right. at that level of football. And call it a combination of some bad tackling and just some brute strength. But Emmanuel Smith slips past this, this what looks like it's about to be a massive hit. And there's two Tennessee guys just around him. And he squirts yeah. right through them and because they didn't wrap up. And he dives into the end zone. And that was what got them on the board. And it was kind of like, a all right, Arkansas, like we're here. We're, you know, we can take Tennessee's right. best punch. So the, the other one, and I'm honestly surprised that you didn't have this one in there as well. Was late in the third quarter. There's two minutes and 20 seconds left in the third quarter. I don't think it was like a big play or like a, like it may have been for a first down. I'm not sure. I, but it was like a eight yard out route to Peerless Price, mm-hmm. like from from the far hash to the other side of the field, and it's thrown behind him. And he just also Arkansas's coverage was. I don't know why they were playing like 15 yards off, but he just just effortlessly reaches behind his back. And turns around, just like does this, like it's like pirouette, three sixty, one hand catch, and then just jogs off the field like it was nothing. I was like, "What the hell just happened?" It was like that kind of elite athleticism where it doesn't look like it's hard. It's casual, for them. yeah, yeah. That's so just that like an everyday. Fun. That's like a practice play for them. They can just right. do that. Well, and it's different too when you don't have like a guy draped all over you or something. Yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah, no big deal. This is kind of what I'm expected to do. Peerless Price was really, really good. Very good. Mm-hmm. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Haven't brought up this guy's name yet, but I thought Raynock Thompson, the Tennessee linebacker, um, was was surprising from a skill set standpoint that he didn't make it in the NFL because he was all over the place. I mean, if it wasn't yeah. Al Wilson, it seemed like it was Thompson making plays in the open field, a very much important part of that defense. 
And he was a second round pick, a little bit undersized, but somebody who was a Butkus Award finalist and a huge, huge part of this team, but only played five years in the NFL, had a DUI arrest in 2001, violated Yikes. the league substance abuse policy in 2003, and that was kind of it, suspended those last four games of that season. And then in 2016, he was arrested for assault. I put this in here because I wanted to read the police report, and this was one of the little tiny rabbit holes that I just, I, my interest was peaked a little bit. So I had, I had to at least find out what exactly it was for. So the police report said that he punched his roommate in the back of the head, grabbed the roommate in the back of the neck, and threatened to kill the roommate in the parking lot of Kroger on Chapman Highway around, 9 a, around 9 a.m. Saturday morning. I mean, who does 9 a.m.? Who gets that mad at 9 a.m.? My thoughts exactly. At Kroger. Wake up angry. Kroger's a beautiful place. Shouldn't get that mad there. Yeah. Um, so I went with, uh, what's his name? Anthony Lucas. Yeah. I mean, just with the fact, he, he put up like some pretty good production in the SEC. Uh, I think he got signed with, with the Cowboys, something like that, and was, was there for like two years only. Um, but he had 1,000 yards this season and 10 touchdowns. He had like 800-something yards uh, his senior season, or his redshirt fifth-year senior season? I don't know. But um, I, thought he was a, I thought he was really good. I mean, he was, when he was on display like at a game like this especially, you'd think he would get maybe a little bit more pub. And he had 6'3", yeah. like, 200. At the time, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where maybe if you know they they win this game and they're playing you know for a national championship or something like that, maybe he gets noticed a, a little bit more or something. But yeah, Anthony Lucas was still very very good at the college level. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash researching this, I already went through the the Mike Mayock thing. Um, the Arkansas Reebok uniforms, real quick. Oh yeah. Those were, so we got used to seeing those in the NFL because they were the NFL uniforms until 2009, I believe. Um, really? Yeah, they were. And if you go back and look at NFL uniforms from, from the 2000s, I mean, they don't look that out of place. But with college yeah. football, for whatever reason, Reebok just doesn't look like it fits in right. And I think it's because their logo is so centered over the jersey. Yeah. It's like, why does it need to be right there, like right below the neck? I, I just thought that was that was strange. But um I actually went back and I wanted to find uh, some more information about Reebok in, in college okay. athletics. Morgan Moriarty, who we've had on this podcast, your friend. Morgan uh, she, and Morgan. <laughs> she, did, uh, she did a great story on all these throwback uniform deals, like why we don't see things like Russell Athletic or Reebok in college, in college football anymore. And so uh, there was, um, in this story, she said that there were, four, um, there were four schools that were featured prominently with Reebok. Yep. Boston College, Iowa, Northwestern, Northeastern, that were featured prominently late in the game. And yeah. Arkansas, obviously, this is still 1998. So, Stump Marler question Who was the last team? Dude, I know this. Of those, of those four who were in Reebok uniforms, and when did they stop? Oh, my God. I remember reading this article, and it was somebody also played in like starter. Or something bad. It was UConn with Aeropostel. Yeah, it was Yukon. Okay, because that was going to be my original answer here. But so it's oh, it was Aeropostel. That's right. <laughs> okay, hold on. Give me the four teams again. It was Arkansas. Then, well, not Iowa, so Arkansas is not part of this. Arkansas is not part of this. Boston College, Iowa, Northwestern, and Northeastern. I I want it. It's between Boston College and, and Iowa. I think it's Iowa. 
That is incorrect. You should have went with Damn. your first your first instinct. Boston College? Boston College and Northeastern was actually the correct answer. A little bit of a trick question there. They both wore those through the 2009 season. Which, That's ridiculous. Yeah, still just kind of just Matt Ryan right. finished his entire career in, in Reebok. Right? Isn't that strange? <laughs> um, the uh, other thing that I that I had forgotten about, the, the Madre Hill story, who uh, the Arkansas running back, first team, all SEC guy in 1995. 1995, and this game is being played in 1998. What did he do for those two years in between, you might ask? Well, he tore each one of his ACLs. Um, tore one of his ACLs in the 1995 SEC Championship, and then he was out for the entire 1996 season. you got to remember this is at a time when tearing your ACL yeah. for a running back used to be sort of a death sentence. And this is way before Adrian Peterson they used did to put what him he to did. Death. Yeah. They, yeah, like a horse, like a horse, yep. <laughs> you just put him down. Yeah, just put him down. Right, hold on real quick, have I ever told you about that? I always thought it'd be really funny. It's like an SNL skit. I've never shared this with you, but those those like medical tents on the sideline. If they they had those two like, for horse, yeah, that's a good way to put them. If they had those for like horse racing, and all of a sudden you just like somebody comes and like, and it's I thought it'd be really funny. Maybe not. I wish I didn't share this story with you. Yikes! I don't know. Yikes! <laughs> the optics of that maybe maybe not the best. Um, but yeah, Madre Hill only had half of his production this season. Still got drafted though. Credit to him for being able to do that, yeah. um, and was part of Arkansas's All-Decade team because he was very, very good in 1995. And he had his moments this season, but just probably not the same sort of explosion. And they sort of used him a little bit more as a dual threat type thing. Right. Did um, you have anybody for this? What was the question? Connor? Or anything for this, rather. The thing that you didn't that know slash remember until rewatching. Did you forget that you forgot something? Yeah, so I honestly, I hate to say this, I forgot how many chances Arkansas had to win this game. Lots. I, I really did forget that. That was that was crazy to me. Um, I forgot any of the stuff about Saddam Hussein. But I, I really, I forgot they were, I forgot Arkansas was 8-0, and I really did forget just, just how many chances they had to win this game. All the chances. Almost too All many. The Let's talk about the, the real moment in which Arkansas blew this game because it's been dissected a lot over the last couple decades, the Clint Sterner fumble. Let's set up a little bit beforehand because... It, it, this isn't where I thought they lost the game. Oh, okay. Uh, then you yeah. go ahead. Where do you, where do you think they lost the game? Um, I mean, that's obviously like the, the correct answer, but with six... 6.50 to go. We kind of referenced it earlier with, like, the Al Wilson stuff. 6.50 to go. Like, Arkansas is driving. They're in good field position. Just all the things that you can't do yeah. end up happening. Can't take a sack. They take a sack. And then, so, they, they take a sack on second down. Um, and it backs up to, like, they're at the 13, so it backs up to, like, the 20. And it's third down. They run a screen pass. And it's oh, yeah. wide open. And, and you hear the guy go, oh, my God, he would have walked that in for a touchdown. Terry Donahue said he would have walked in for a touchdown, yeah. They rolled out Sterner to the right, like just a little bit, and he comes back and, and underthrows the screen pass to the tight end, and there is no one. Mm-hmm. Even, there's no one even even within five yards of the left hash on the field. Everyone had vacated, and he had three linemen in front of him. Um, the following play, they get the field goal block. Field goal block. And that's like so the things start going well. I, I remember writing it down when it happened. I was like, oh yeah, that's when they lost it. Nope, it kept going. Kept going. Yep. So yep. then Arkansas comes back and decides to they, – they were going to punt late in the fourth because they got another stop. Okay, um, so let me I'll, – I'll set that that up. I, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you, you, you got to this point. But, yeah, people do forget about the drop screen pass because that was an entire side of the field that was just wide open. Would have made it 31 to 20. Yeah. 
um, wouldn't be talking about or, yeah. these dumbbells. Or if they didn't lose the play or lose any, uh, what do you call it, yardage on the sack, it might have been an easier field goal. I, I just, whatever. I give him a little bit more credit for that because if Al Wilson yeah. was coming on my blind side, I would have no chance whatsoever. Fair. Um, so 304 left. It's fourth and one, and Arkansas is still up 24 to 20. And they come out there. Uh, Clint Sterner had actually come up like a half yard short of this scramble that he had. It was like, I don't know if it was like, it wasn't necessarily like a bootleg, but he was trying to reach for, for the first down marker and he didn't quite reach the bot in time. And they were still clearly at least a half yard, maybe even a full yard short. What, what was he doing? Um, the play I mean, design was angle, good. But like, just reach the ball out. Yeah, looked like he definitely could have reached the ball and had at least a better chance to be able to get it, but he like did it too late. It was it was very yeah. strange. Um, so fourth and one, three oh four left. They're up twenty four to twenty, and they go out there on fourth and one, and they're in their own territory. And Sterner tries to hard count, and it doesn't work. And it's 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 obvious that it's not going to work. And then they end up instead of taking the delay a game, they call a timeout, which... This is unbelievable. Houston Nutt just say, taking over a game. Like, Sterner, Sterner real quick, after the, he's short on the third down, he he gets mad at himself because he realizes, like, you know, he yeah. comes the ball, and he, he, like, hits the football twice, like, dang it, you know, whatever, and starts walking towards the bench, and Houston Nutt is just frantically grabbing him, yeah. and somebody else walks out the field, and he's like, no, 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 guys, guys, come here, <laughs> we're going for it! God dang it, Houston. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm sure you're actually going to sit there and go for it in that spot, right? In your own territory, your defense has been playing pretty well all day. And you're, yeah, that didn't. Nobody was fooled by that at all. So, of course, what happens then when Tennessee doesn't jump off sides and Arkansas elects to punt, and they didn't take the delay of game; they instead took a timeout. So, on fourth and one, high snap over the head of the Arkansas punter, and he actually makes the very, very heads-up play. This could have been much, much worse, and he instead yeah. just kicks the ball into the end zone, and he makes it a safety, so then it becomes 24-20, right. to 20, or 24-22, to 22, and instead of you know risking Tennessee possibly falling on the ball or they get great field position, heck of a play by the punter in that spot. Well, so, and that's what you're taught to do as a punter if that happens, and at the same time, though, Let's just break this down real quick because I said this earlier in the game or earlier in the broadcast about Houston Nutt and just how Houston Nutt, man, oh, man. Sometimes when I play golf, I, I think that I'm better than I am because I'm pretty terrible. And I'll get to like a hole. I'm like, you know what? I've been driving the ball pretty well. I should probably just hit this in the fairway. But instead, I'm going to get creative here and try to shape this around the trees. And I played golf like twice a year. So guess what I can't do? Anything involving that. Hit a draw. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, like. So Houston Nutt deciding we're going to fake the fourth down on our own side of the field and then take a timeout. There's no reason to take the timeout. The timeout's the bad part. The timeout is, is, the, is the dumb play there. And I understand, you know, you're, you're trying to get after field position, whatever. But I just think in that spot, there's nothing wrong with going out there on fourth and one. There's, there's the nothing deal. wrong with it. And this is the same the same thing. I was going to bring it up later, but it, it speaks to this point. If, you, if you're watching the game, you know this as well. It's the fourth quarter. So, why am I drawing a blank here? T. Martin hadn't completed a pass over 10 yards in the second half of this game. Hadn't completed a single pass over, uh, or sorry, sorry, hadn't completed a single pass at all in the fourth quarter. They had played pretty well on defense, like you said, all day. This, and then like snapping the ball over his head, it was one of the most physically impressive dumb things i've ever seen from those two positions like like the kid the kid that snapped it over the punter's head wow that was incredible the velo coming out of that thing was was incredible Oof. um 
And then, like, to have like, the foot eye coordination to kick a football moving at a dead spot. Right? Wow. That's hard. I think you got to legitimately practice that if you're a punter. You probably do practice yeah. the, those types of situations, but maybe, I don't know if condensation is playing a factor in that snap. It was a bad snap no matter what. I don't, right. think, I don't think the rain was 100% responsible for that, but just a wild sequence of events. So then, you know, there's this, so Tennessee then gets the ball back after they, Arkansas has to, to kick off to them, which by the way, I don't know why they didn't punt to them. They had, they could actually put it on the tee. I thought that was a little bit weird as well after the safety. Yeah. I thought you had to punt it, you but whatever. ball further than a punt, right? One would think, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought that was strange. But so Tennessee gets the ball back and they actually fail to convert on fourth down. And they're still down 24 to 22 in this game. There's a couple minutes left. And the refs game. missed a massive, massive, I cannot state this enough. And I'm so upset that they didn't talk about it on the broadcast. A massive late hit on T. Martin on that fourth down play where it was an incomplete pass to Peerless Price. And T. Martin just got his world rocked. And for whatever reason, they showed the ref in the shot. And he clearly was not looking at the yeah. play happening. Because if he was, it was an automatic 15 yards, drive extended. Maybe they have a chance to win the game earlier or something like that. But so that happens. And Tennessee's got to get the ball back. they got to get the ball Again, back. Again, and all this happens with under three minutes to go in the game. Tennessee fans were walking out of the stadium when this happened. The game was over. Been over. Oh been my over. god! And this is after having a twenty-one to three lead. So then Arkansas gets the ball back. I tell you what, man. Here's the deal. They had gained. They gave up in this game three hundred and and like seventy something yards of offense. Mm. Arkansas had the ball for ten minutes and like twenty-six seconds in the fourth quarter of this game. Pun them deep. They had played well. Like I just said. T. Martin hadn't completed a pass over 10 yards in the second half, looked awful for most of the fourth quarter, had zero completions. He was 10 of 26 on the day. Arkansas fans, now might be the moment. If you haven't already, now how, might how be the throwing? moment. Or you, you, you want to maybe, uh, if you want to fast forward, that's, hold on. I understand it. I understand it. What do you want but to again, just taking through, like, like, okay, so say his name for me, the running back from Arkansas. Chris Chakuma. 18 carries for 103 yards. I, what, what are we doing? I, Madre Hill, 16 carries, 37 yards. Run the ball, make them use their timeouts, and then go the length of the field. I tell you what, though, I, I guarantee you, just with how this game turned out, if that would have happened, the story we'd be telling is that idiot long snapper would have snapped another one over his head like through the uprights. <laughs> like, ball game. There you go. We're tied. We're going overtime. You should just know that if Sean McDonough is on your game, you're going to have a late awkward punt that doesn't oh go well at all and it totally changes the course of the game that's just a rule with sean mcdonough um so arkansas then has the ball up 24 to 22 there's a couple minutes left in this game it's second down and 12. mcdonough's call as sterner drops back is incredible <laughs> oh my goodness he stumbled and fumbled and billy radlett recovered and he can't believe it he can't believe it and surely tennessee fans are out of their mind just like wait a minute did this just happen in this moment to watch a quarterback in this spot for whatever reason they had decided to pass i understand tennessee still had a couple timeouts on the board but they drop back to pass and don't you know it he trips over of all people uh, brandon burlesworth and clint sterner fall has this like in, in real time when you watch it it looks like the clumsiest thing in the world and you maybe don't see that he trips over his right guard's foot 
But it's it's got to be one of those plays as an Arkansas fan where you're just like, I just don't get it. I, I'm, my jaw is literally dropped right now, revisiting <laughs> it. Clint Sterner in this game, I mean, he, he put up 274 yards passing with three touchdowns. He was 17 of 34 for a completion percentage. And we joked around about this the other day. He threw that, that touchdown pass. I, I said this in my notes. The touchdown pass or the interception he threw in the end zone in the first half when they were up and had a chance to, to like Awful. extend a bigger lead yeah. when they were up 21, I think, three at the time against, or maybe it was like 14 to three. Or, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was seven hours early. But putting on more points when, and like, you know how the rest of that first half went and obviously how the rest of the game went. We joked around about this the other day, the quote from Bear Bryant about two things can happen when you pass. And one of them's bad. Why? Why are we trying to throw at all? I, I just don't get it. Like if, if it was if it was Peyton Manning, hell, if it was T. Martin, maybe I don't know. I, it, I don't understand. He wasn't that accurate. What are we doing? At midfield to make that at move. Mid, I just and and Sterner is gonna. He's gonna get. He's gotten the blame over the years, obviously. And Houston Nutt, I'm sure, has has shared his fair share of blame as well. But the amazing thing, too, about Tennessee taking over after Billy, Rack, Billy Ratliff recovers the fumble is Tennessee didn't even throw the ball. There's okay, two so minutes left, and they don't even need to throw it. I'm Travis still, Henry. I'm still blow, like my mind is still blown out of this, and I, I'm sorry, Arkansas fans, I really am. But, like, again, I'm just I'm trying to like, process what the hell he was, he was thinking about because, again, if you, if you punt, and let's just say they execute the punt, and they can they can get the punt off and it, it lands at the twenty. Tennessee up until this point they or they ran for two hundred and twenty two yards on the day, and I think they had around like one ninety at the time. All they had done for the most part in the second half was run the football. That's all they that's all they could do. I don't if, understand why you wouldn't make them go the length of the field and use their timeouts. Yeah, and and this is this is just an example of a coach overthinking it because I'm sure in that spot. Houston Nutt is thinking to himself, and Houston Nutt, who we can put blame on him because he's the offensive coordinator as well. He's calling the plays for this. He did that to his detriment to a certain extent throughout his career. But he's thinking, all right, all I got to do to end this game, to put it on ice, to beat the number one team, to show everybody in the country that I am am the best coach, I should be getting all these national awards, all I got to do is sell this fake. If I can get this bootleg, which we have run a lot, and get a little, maybe a little counter action going, hit the tight end in the flat, boom. First down, game over, we sit on the ball. Don't have to worry about punting, about punting the ball and hiking the ball when I have no confidence in that. And instead of just relying on a simple play because of probably what he had just seen, probably what's in the back of his mind wondering what I got to do to win this game, he overthought it. And it cost him. And I, obviously, I, Clint Sterner deserves blame. But Houston is very much a part of this. I, here, he's, he is the part of this. Like, I, it just, and, and part of it for me is, I think there was some level of, and I don't know, and this, I'm just throwing this out there, some level of ego involved where it's like what you just said, like, you know what? This is my moment. I, I'm going to look like a genius if I do this. What, what year was it the Big 12 championship game? It was like, I think it was like Nebraska and Texas where it was like fourth and one or fourth and five. And they, they faked a punt, or they ran like a bootleg or something like that, where everyone thought they were going to run up the middle, and they end up throwing it to these guys like wide open, like, and it ends up, I guess, like stealing the victory, I think, for Texas over Nebraska? I don't know. Sounds about but right. It was an incredible, incredible play call, and people were just like marveled about how great of a decision it was. You don't have to necessarily be in that position 
in here because you're at midfield. Just kick the ball deep. Just punt the ball deep. Instead, Tennessee takes over. Travis Henry just goes off. Nobody really blames the Arkansas defense for not being able to stop Travis Henry, even though it just seemed like he broke off essentially three big runs to win yeah. this game. And that was that was all she wrote. And a last a last drive attempt for Arkansas came up short. Where they actually that hook and ladder. Ooh, I don't know. I would have liked to see that complete the, the hook and ladder play because they they would have at least set themselves up because they could have stopped the clock. They dropped the pass, but they had they had it set yeah. up really, really well. See, but here's the deal though. Like I, I saw that because of course they dropped it. I don't know. I don't, I didn't see where like Tennessee's defense was, but the difference in this game, and I think the difference in that play is Philip Fulmer is an incredible coach, and this team was too yeah, well coached yeah. to make that kind of mistake. I, I just it's still again, I'm so confused. I'm just I'm just so confused. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been to bring this up earlier, and it's completely out of context now. But um, there was a name. This is probably the most the thing I I, I guess forgot about. This was an actual Division One football player's name, and not like a chemist or an accountant. Hubert Loudermilk? It's a great name. Yeah, that guy is 78 years old, out of, out of the womb. Hubert Loudermilk. You can call him Hugh? Hubie? Yeah. Whatever. What I don't would want to ha- play your team anymore, Arkansas. I'll just make fun of your players. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? This, is, this one's a little bit messier. A little yeah. bit messier. And it's, it's a lot of hypotheticals. Um, it's not as clear-cut. Um, so including this game, obviously Arkansas lost 3-4 of four to end the season, including the following week to Mississippi State, where they lost that game 22-21. to They lost to Michigan and Tom Brady uh, in the bowl game as well. The Mississippi State game was what really ended their SEC championship chances um, because they weren't, they weren't going to play for a national championship with a Tennessee loss. Right. Um, people, though... Because people would question their resume, right? I mean, they would have probably, with a win here, moved up to number one or number two in the country. I, I firmly believe that. Going on so the road and beating number one as an undefeated team. Okay, here's here's why I disagree with that. Because, hold on, what what date was this again? Tennessee's number one. This is I've number... got the AP poll pulled up right now. Here's why I don't think that would have happened. There's two teams this year that were that really stood out and that everyone was captivated by. Kansas State with Michael Bishop and Martin Gramatica. Um, Good year like for kickers, seven, by the way. Florida State with uh, Sebastian Janikowski as well. Yeah, in that Big Twelve championship game, they lost. I thought I thought he was the best player in the country. It was going to win the Heisman for not over Ricky Williams, but you know what I mean. He was incredible. I remember in the Big Twelve championship game, they said, "Yeah, we watched him in warmups, and he was hitting it from seventy-seven yards." Oh, okay, casual, so no the, big deal. There's that. Um, but also UCLA with Cade McNown. Ah, good old Cade McNown. Met him in 1998, I think I did. Um, at New Age Sports, suburbs of Chicago. Waited a very long time to get his autograph. I think he was late, too, um, that one time. But there's a very good viral clip of Cade McNown just puking his guts out in a UCLA game. Fun times. Yeah. Great Bears quarterback. Anyway, but yeah, I don't think they would have moved up to one or two if they won because they were still 10th despite being 8-0. And there's, there's several teams with one loss ahead of them. True, but the, the but they would have still been undefeated, and they would have had that moment where everybody's like, "Oh, all right, this is this legit now." Number one team on the road to go on and do that. I think they would have had a chance, maybe maybe number two. But so, but here's the, they had so many blue bloods in front of them: Florida, Penn State, Florida State, all those teams. It, it doesn't matter. It's hypothetical. But teams teams who had one loss that that would be yep. my my only point with that. Um, they could have survived the Mississippi State loss. 
um, because had they had they just lost the Mississippi State game and still won against Tennessee, they would have had a rematch against Tennessee in the SEC championship. And yeah. but could they have beaten Tennessee twice? I I have my doubts about that. I. I don't know. They they would have at least still had a, a path to the national title. Let's say let's say just hypothetically speaking that they were able to beat Tennessee yeah. in a rematch and they were able to beat them twice in a year. I still would take that Florida State team to beat Arkansas in that national championship. Peter Ward, okay. Chris Winkie, Sebastian Janikowski. Here's another question for that too: is if Arkansas had won this game and then had the rematch against Tennessee in the SEC championship game, and Tennessee beat them. Would they have gone into the national title still? Glad you brought that up. There you go. I think Tennessee would have still gone to the national title. I think with yeah. one loss, they would have. Because at this point of the season, where nobody's questioning Tennessee's resume or anything like that. Right. Um, and, and here's why. So there were no other unbeatens after conference championship. Um, mm. Ohio State had the one loss, but they didn't have the conference championship. Uh, Kansas State's first loss was the double overtime game to A&M in the Big 12 championship. Tennessee would have shown that it could have avenged that Arkansas loss, which, as we've seen in the past, that usually matters. When you avenge a loss like that, Florida had just done that the previous year against Florida State. So I think that there would have been at least some sort of like, all right, yeah, they had had that one day. They lost a hard-fought, close game down to the wire. Arkansas was better than we thought. Um, And also no Pac-12 championship for one loss Arizona, who was number five prior to the bowl. UCLA had lost to Miami at that last game of the year. I don't remember Arizona being good that year. Arizona was very good that year. Was, Who was had it? one loss going into going into the yep. bowl season as well. Um, the only way this actually changes for Tennessee is if Arkansas wins that rematch in the SEC championship game, and that's still like such a tough thing because on this day, I mean, Arkansas led the entire game up until that on the road in Knoxville and showed everybody in the country who was still kind of questioning how good they were. We're legit. We're legit. I, it just, I, and I, I, in no way am I trying to rub salt in the wound. I'm just still so blown away. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Just run the damn ball. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, I think that's it's pretty obvious. Easy, yeah. and, and I already have the screenshot ready to go for when we get the tweet out. It's the Clint Sterner tripping and falling in the, the, the fumble. Arkansas fans, if you can move, if you can erase any one specific moment of your memory, Probably that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what a special season either way. I mean, yeah, wow, wow. I'm just, good God. I'd love to know how many Tennessee fans left the stadium and actually didn't see that play happen. I'd love to talk to a Tennessee fan. Because uh, apparently they said on the broadcast, fans, they were were fans leaving the stadium for sure after that play. Because the game should have been over. And it was also disgusting weather. It it would have been difficult to be there. I just, yeah, I mean, like, and this was, again, it had to be so upsetting. Like, I, I understand why you'd want to leave the stadium because of the nature of that. That whole season, man, like, again, that one point win against Syracuse in week one, then, like, game two, you kick, like, kick the game-winning field goal against Florida, you finally get over that hump. I mean, they had, they had beaten, I think, like, three ranked teams. They beat Georgia on the road. That was when Goldberg was on college game day. Oh, um, people forget that. People do forget that. But, I mean, they were a really good, really good team, and if they would have lost... I think even though Arkansas was undefeated, it probably would have stung because, like, all the hard stuff was out of the way. Yep. That would have been a really, really tough pill to swallow. Arkansas, that was an ultimate, this is why we can't have nice things moment. Just brutal. 
Pittsburgh. Honestly, the, the thing about you can't have nice things might have been because they lost to Mississippi State the week after. Yeah, that too. That's that's definitely fair. Um, hopefully, everybody was able to get through this. Arkansas fans, you survived this. Uh, Tennessee fans, I know they have many, many fond memories of this game uh, this season as well. If you're searching for more content from this season, you're a Tennessee fan, and maybe this piqued your interest, you just want to go down memory, memory road here, Go, go look up some of our content on SDS that we had, uh, the 20-year anniversary of this 1998 season. Dave Hooker, I said it before, I'll say it again, did such a tremendous job with all the yeah. great pieces that he had. Talked to everybody for it, too. I mean, everyone. I, I think he talked to everybody except Peyton, maybe. Like, that's that's about yeah. the only thing, which obviously for the 98 season, that's not as well because he wasn't a part of it. But yeah, he, he definitely got everybody. So this has been fun. I'm sure you have to pee. I have some brisket chili. Very badly. Chi- I have brisket chili that's ready to go. I'm pumped. We'll talk about that next time. But um, yeah, good job again, Connor. And we will. It just peace more. It's hard to get soon.